You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Yeah, thank you for that lovely reflection, Annie, before the reading there. So true of the tone and the purpose of why we're looking at the book of Psalms. Tears, fears, doubts, they're all very real for us. And we said last week that that is often the reality for many of us before we ever walk into this place. And that it is the one place where it's okay not to be okay. And so last week we saw that the Psalms have a radically different way of dealing with the tears and the fears and the doubts, a radically different way of dealing with your emotions. The Psalms say, don't, on one hand, don't stuff your emotions, don't hold them in. On the other hand, the Psalms say, don't be a slave to your emotions, don't be driven by your emotions, but pray your emotions. That is, offer them up to God in the realest and the rawest and the ugliest and, and any way that you know how. Pray your emotions. Don't do it in those little tied up employee to employer style prayers, remember? (laughs) Offer them to your father in heaven who understands what you're going through and just be real. That's what we're calling the divine wrestle. The divine wrestle where you just offer this stuff to God and you just throw it to him and you do so in the safety of his understanding. And today we look at one of the Rawest, the realest, probably one of the most fundamental emotions that we have in life, fear. Often this is the emotion behind the tears. Often it's the fear that is underneath uh, all of life that is creating the tears. And so we see an example for King David in which he's scared. And he's got every right to be scared. There's 10,000 men after him. He's in the middle of a military coup. A military coup led by his own son, Absalom. And so, of course, he's scared. And what, what does he do? What does he do in the midst of all of that? Well, something happens because he goes from verse 1, Lord, how many are my enemies? How many are my foes? And then he gets to the point midway through in verse 6 where he says, I will not fear. Now, the danger is to be too superficial with how he gets to that response. How he gets to that response is key for us this morning. How he gets to that response is what's going to take us 20 minutes this morning. How he moves from... I'm scared to, I will not fear. David learns here how to pray his fears and it helps him in a time of trouble and it can help you in a time of trouble. Now already some people are saying, well, I'm not being attacked by 10,000 people either side and I'm not the king of an eastern country and uh, I'm not up for a major career change right now and life is feeling pretty good. I'm I'm not too scared. There's not too much to fear. Okay, but... Look, let me put it to you this way, that, that all of us have some specific and non-specific uh, reactions and dealings with fear. The specific stuff for some this week is that there are some who are facing deadlines. There are some in this place who are facing work situations that are scaring them. There are some in this place who are facing health situations that are scaring them. There, there are some here that face court deadlines. Uh, all of these things are scaring the daylights out of you and they're quite specific fears and legitimate fears that you've got. Now, Here's a non-specific example. If you think I don't have any of that, life's going well. A non-specific one that came to mind this week is that For some of us, 
and dare I say all of us, there are relationships in life where we know that we are doing people harm because we lack the courage to speak the truth to them in love. Because we lack the courage to tell them the one thing that none of the rest of their friends are going to reveal to them. That there are people in our lives, co-workers, spouses, friends, sons and daughters, that if we're real about it, we are harming the relationship because we lack courage. Because ultimately we're scared. We're scared about the way in which they're going to react. We're, going to, we're scared about the way that they think about us. And ultimately it's hurting the relationship. Is that enough of a reason for us to take a look at fear this morning? How does the Bible say how to handle fear? How does the Bible say to handle fear that we see through the psalm here? What we'll see is the the problem that we have with fear. Then we'll look at what fear is. And then we'll look at how David deals with it through prayer. The problem with it, what it is, how he deals with it. Now the first thing we see, the problem with fear. First of all, David is scared. He's a king that is scared. Verse 1 to 2. Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? Um, The problem with fears is this. You can't stuff your fears. I don't know if you guys have tried to do it before. But I have. You can't stuff fear. Fear is just the smoke that surrounds a deeper fire in your soul. Try go stuffing smoke somehow. (laughs) It leaks out everywhere. It leaks out specifically or generally in the way that we behave. But here's the funny thing. People do try and stuff their fears. People try and stuff their fears all sorts of ways. They do it through, they're saying, okay, oh, the plain way they do it is they say, I'm not going to be scared. Or they, 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 they look stuff up on the web and they, they use visualization techniques. You know, I'm going to visualize that thing and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be scared of this. And look, some of that is legitimate, by the way. Some of that can be a means to the way that you deal with your fears, but it can't be the ends is what I'm saying. That there are ways that people try and stuff their fear. Oh, here's this fear. It's not real. It's not coming at me. It it can't hurt me. It can't work it out. I'll just try and stuff my fears. Look, it's like me saying to you, don't think of the word penguin. Don't think of the word penguin, whatever you do. Whatever you do, don't think of the word penguin. Now, here's a question. What word have I just asked you not to think of? (laughs) You're all, you're all thinking of a fluffy black and white animal, aren't you? <laughs> fear works in exactly the same way. Don't you see? When you try and stuff your fears, the very act of trying to stuff your fears compounds the fear. The very act of doing that focuses on it. And ironically, to stuff your fears, the problem with it is it's actually focusing on the fear itself. And the Bible says one of the great mistakes that people make when it comes to fear is that you think you can get rid of it by banishing it, by stuffing it. By, by holding it in. And it says it doesn't work like that. That's the first problem. You can't stuff your fears. The second problem is, look, look at terror. around. The, look at war. Look at strife. Look at health. Look at ec- epidemics. Look, look at the financial crisis. Look at the loss of a job. Look at t- relationships tearing apart. This is an enthusiastic and wonderfully encouraging sermon, isn't it? <laughs> the point being, the things that scare us are absolutely coming. We can't live in a world without change or danger. Danger is absolutely coming. It reminds me of seeing one of those old school Charlie Chaplin films. You know those black and white ones that didn't have any music or soundtrack? There's a whole generation that I admire because they found that entertaining. You know, we watch Jurassic World. 
5.1 surround sound. But, but it was entertaining because Charlie Chaplin, he had this ball and chain around him and he was trying to escape it. So what he would do in order to escape the ball and chain is he would go up and he would bury it in the ground. And in Charlie Chaplin style, he would be floating around happy as Larry until he tried to move. And the thing, whack, would hit him every time. And the problem with fear is that it's absolutely coming at us. When we try and stuff it, it works for a short time and then whack. We get chaplained. So can you, can you see the problem with fear? Uh, you can't stuff it. You can't deal with it that way. Uh, nor can we get away from the fact that it's absolutely coming at us. And fear sometimes is absolutely real. Sometimes you can't visualise yourself out of some of the things that are scaring you. So that leads us to the point then. What, what is fear? How does the Bible define fear here? Uh, verse 1 and 2 again. Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now, it's fascinating here because often when we talk about fear, there's another word we use in there called anxiety. And often we see biblically that fear and anxiety are not two separate things. They're actually two different kinds, two different levels, two different types of the same thing that's happening. And we see it in this verse here. You see, the first thing, fear, in the true sense of the word, we see in verse 1. How many are my foes? That sense that David is looking around and there's 10,000 men after him. There's this sort of sense of being physically attacked. There's a fear. You know what that is like? That sense of being physically attacked or that physical danger that we have. And ironically, that sort of fear can actually be a healthy fear at times, right? It can be a healthy thing as a young child to be scared of the car park the way that my little guy is. Zach refuses to walk around the car park unless he's in the arms of daddy. Fear, it's a healthy thing. But there's a more insidious, a more debilitating, a more paralyzing fear that the Bible talks about in these first two verses. And it's in verse 2. Many are saying of me, God won't deliver me. See, David's under the physical attack. But now he's saying, many are saying, God will not deliver him. What's he saying here? What's David getting on about here? What are they doing? What, what they're doing is that they're, they're starting to mutter around the place about the ways in which remind David of the ways in which God dealt with his predecessor, Saul. And we know that Saul had a few stuff-ups and a few mistakes and a few acts of disobedience towards God. And what, what happened? Boom, God sorted it out. And so here they are taunting David. Not only is David being physically attacked, when they're saying God won't deliver him, They're taunting him about the way that Saul was taken down for making his mistakes. And so as a result, they're not attacking him physically. They're attacking his identity. They're attacking his character. He's not only under physical attack, he's under spiritual attack. And and that is more debilitating because suddenly now David himself probably starts thinking, hang on, maybe God will take me down. There's this profound saying from a philosopher. I I still haven't sourced who said it. It could be Aristotle or it could be one of those famous philosophers. But it goes like this. uh, Sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will never hurt me. (laughs) That's not from a Greek philosopher. There are some people there going, oh, that's good. Yeah. No. (laughs) Go to any sort of playground for a year six student and that's what they'll say to each other. But bulldust. Of course names hurt you. You know that names hurt you. In fact, no, names can hurt you more than the sticks and the stones. Names can, it's, it's the attack on your identity and your character that can hurt you more than the physical attacks on you. 
You know, David, David's saying the names were hurting me, or all right, maybe they're right. Look at my life. Look at look at my adultery. Look at the murder that I I'd undertaken. Look look at my family. It's in a shambles. I got my own son trying to kill me. Look at my career. It's in tatters. I'm not surely it's all over. David's now saying, because of one little comment, spirals him into this thinking. And so here we get the sense of how the Bible defines anxiety. Anxiety is that, that feeling you get when you sense the things that you've placed your security in that are other than God are slowly being eaten away at. Would that be a fair definition? You know, you know that gnawing feeling? Let, let me, I'll give you the example. Fear, anxiety, same context, uh, diff, different things. My, my old place where I used to live, the difference between fear and anxiety. We had one night where um, some bozo neighbour down the end who was uh, a drug dealer ended up having a fight with one of his mates. At 11 o'clock at night, they slammed into my front door and they're smashing into the screen to the front door and I jumped out of bed and it was all I could do to go and fear, healthy thing, go and push the lounge in front of the front door. <laughs> And shut all the locks. That's fear. Uh, the same place, exactly the same townhouse. I went around the corner a couple of months later and realised that a whole heap of, of the water from the pathway was seeping down uh, the side of the building and into the foundations of the building. And I started thinking, what happens if it washes the foundations away? And so, can you imagine, like, every time I'd be up late at night and there was just the slightest little crack or the slightest little creak... I think, oh my goodness, is that wall coming down? Which is the more debilitating? Which is the more prevalent? And which is the more present? That's anxiety. <laughs> That's the stuff that... Do you find yourself kept up late at night? That deep, dark, terrible feeling that you constantly have that those foundations in your life are being eaten away from you. It's a real thing. And you can't stuff that. More importantly, you can't be a slave to that, by the way. Some people are gripped by that. Some, some people do have to work by that. And I think, too, it's, it's, it's a good point to take a, a sensible pause in that and say, look, if you are a person who is prone to being gripped and a slave to anxiety, then a, a biblical sermon is not going to just fix that. That you need to work through with someone in terms of how you process that and work that through. That's not how God intended you to be. And there are some realities around that, psychological realities, that we need to acknowledge this morning as well. So we don't want to be cliched about this. Here's my question. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you worried about the front door? That's one thing, that's fear. Or are you constantly worried about the foundations? That's anxiety. That's what fear in the way that the Bible was talking about. Something had gotten into David's foundation so that every comment, every word, everything that they had said about him suddenly started to make him think the whole thing's coming down. Ever felt like that? Why is it that it's those comments in the names that seem to get us the most? If you want to be in an area of work that can give you that prevalent anxiety, become a minister. <laughs> and here's why. Because, look, I used to be an accountant, and when I mucked up a spreadsheet, well, that was just a mistake on a spreadsheet. But you muck up in ministry. That's your identity. That's who you are. One of the great things that a minister has to constantly wrestle themselves out of is to say this message, this church, these programs, this is, this is not me. It's difficult. It's difficult for all of us to come out from under those sorts of fears. I'm sure you haven't been there, but I just thought I would share a personal example. Uh, 
how do we deal with it? How did David deal with it? Uh, from verse 2 to 3, fascinating little transition. Ironically, in my Bible, I don't know about yours if you've got it open there, but in my Bible, there's a funny little word between verses 2 to 3 now that says Selah. It means pause, stop, reflect. So from verse 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 now is a significant transition point now in terms of what David is doing with his fear. How does he begin to overcome the fear? The first thing he does now is he pauses and moves in now. He's almost sort of been reactive, verse 1 to 2. Now he's proactive in his approach to fear. The first thing that he does is that he prays himself and God into the fear. This sounds paradoxical this doesn't make any sense the first thing that you do in terms of overcoming fear is that you pray yourself and God into the fear we see it here in verse in verse 3 he says David says but you Lord are a shield around me now this is quite profound you need to look at the imagery here when he talks about this is this is really quite profound you're a shield around me there were two types of different shields that you could have in the ancient world back then the first shield was one which would go on your arm when you were fighting and you'd have one of those little round shields and then you'd have your shield and you'd have, have your sword and so you'd have that sort of shield and that shield was there in order to protect you from a blow here or there but it was a shield primarily to help you run away and get away from danger. But what does David say? Oh Lord, you are a shield around me. That doesn't look like one of these things. So what's he talking about? Um, there's another type of shield. You've seen it on Lord of the Rings. You've, you've seen them in Gladiator. You've seen them in the, those ancient medieval movies. There's a sort of shield that went around you. There was a sort of shield that when your general said, right, we're ready, we're going to go and storm the castle. Let's go. We're about to head in through the walls. We're going to go through the gate of the city walls. We're going to move in in which there is going to be thousands upon thousands of men waiting there with spears and arrows and swords. There was a sort of shield that you took into that. And it was a shield that went all the way around you. And you hid in the middle of the thing and you walked forward forward with your general and you walked into the danger with that field with that shield which way is david praying lord you are a shield around me let's look at how profound the way that david begins to deal with his fear can you see how he's praying now david's saying god i am scared is he saying i am scared get me out of this get me away from this <laughs> help me from this no, David's saying, I am scared, but I'm not praying, get me away from danger, Lord. But he's saying, I'm scared, God, shield me in the danger, shield me with the danger. In other words, there are two sorts of shields that you use. There are shields to get away from stuff, and there are shields that are used to go into stuff. And David says, Lord, be that shield for me. Be the God who is who is in there with me in the stings and the arrows and the pains. What do you mean, shield me in the danger, shield me with the danger? That's even more profound that David is saying. Shield me with the danger? How the heck is that possible? How do you get shielded with danger by God? Look, there is an obedience to God, and we see this all throughout the Bible, in those moments of pain when the arrows and, and, and the hot lava of life you feel is pouring over you, there are, there, are, there are those sorts of pains in your life which are actually a form of his protection. Now, this sounds crazy and ridiculous, and I wish we had more time to explain it. The only way I can get it to you in a snapshot is, have you ever seen those movies like Indiana Jones, when they're running through some cobweb tunnel into danger, and they go through, and the movie is full-paced, and then someone stands on a stone that moves and shifts the wrong way? And Indy always says, don't move, whatever you do. 
you know, those ones in the, and the person has to stand there for ages uh, wondering what they're going to do and they're stuck in that spot and the leg is, is starting to hurt and there is danger coming at them and there are things still being flung at them. There's arrows nicking their hand. Don't move whatever you do. It's exactly the way that the Bible describes the way that David is praying into this danger here. That God is saying that, yes, there might be stings and hurts for you, David, in the midst of this, but whatever you do, don't move. Stay with me in this. Sit with me in this. And it's this principle that we see way all the time throughout the Bible that, that often just, just, just one gram of disobedience to God in these tough moments can, can hurt you a hundred times more than the obedience of just staying put. Anyone ever experienced that? This, this, this radically paradoxical thing that that somehow God, in some of the pains that you have now, are preventing you from an even deeper hurt later on. I know it's theological nosebleed stuff, but trust me, this is what the, the Bible is, is says to us in, in this way. That's what David is praying, be the God that goes with me into the danger. So in other words, don't run from it. David, David prays the latter shield, the shield that is around him. Here's the second thing that he does. He prays himself into God. So not only does he pray himself into the danger, he prays himself into, the, into God. Verse three, uh, 3b, basically. Uh, my glory, you're a shield around you. You're my glory, Lord, the one that lifts my head high. Now, it sounds overly spiritual what he's saying here, but it's far more profound and practical than, than you think. You see, when David praying, Lord, you are my glory, there's a recognition now that he can't change his external circumstances. Sticks and stones are going to break my bones. So he recognises he can't change the external circumstances. But the key transition between one and verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 is this. In, in verse 1 to 2, David is looking where? Externally. How many are my foes? And now, verse 3 and 4, he begins to look internally and he says, Hang on, you are my glory. He's saying, the reason that I lack the resources to cope with this fear is that I'm not thinking. Courage. We've said this all of a couple of weeks ago when I talked about, we did another sermon on fear and anxiety. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is sticking to a fundamental, deeper principle that allows you to act in spite of the fear. And so David comes down into that principle. It's like a thermostat that kicks in. That I've said once before that the air conditioner in my house, that once the cold outside gets to a certain level, it kicks on an engine that makes the whole place warm. And I can walk around in the singlet and socks and it doesn't matter, even though it's freezing outside. And so the fear here, healthy fear, is, is the thing that kicks that engine, that thermostat on and gives you the resources to deal with the fear. What is that thermostat? Verse 3, you're my glory. Let me ground this. David's anxiety, most of all, was, fo- was flowing from a focus on himself. So when, when David declares, God, you are my glory, he's, here's what he's recognising for the first time. My moral record, my career as king, how I've raised my kids and how they've turned out to be an absolute bung fight. <laughs> the fact that they're chasing after me. All of these things I had turned into spiritual life rafts. I was clinging to these things for my sense of worth and security. Have you ever seen someone drowning? It's a, it's a scary thing, isn't it? You'd see it enough on Bondi Rescue. I've seen it firsthand down in Manly, the amount of Japanese tourists that are down there trying to learn how to surf. 
I remember this one time in which a Japanese tourist was drowning and a drowning person clings so tightly to the lifesaver and the board there that, that almost the whole thing goes under. I remember watching this one time, the lifeguard desperately trying to pry this Japanese tourist off them and screaming at them, just saying, put your feet down, put your feet down, because they were only 10 to 15 metres away from the shore's edge. And, and so eventually he pries them off, the Japanese tourist puts their feet down, feels the sand underneath their feet, and you just watch the whole body relax instant. Here's the point. When you pray into God, when you pray yourself into God, this is the divine wrestle. To move to the point that even in the midst of all the things and the circumstances that you fear, you feel God under your feet for the first time. The point in the midst of the stripping away of all the things that you think are significant and hold dear to your life, the things that you think that you need, your, your record, your security, your position, your reputation, when all of those things are being stripped and you feel God for the first time, that's what it means to pray yourself into his glory. That's the wrestle, isn't it? Because that doesn't come easily. The last one, and we've got to get moving. Uh, not only does he pray himself into the fear, so to speak, with God, not only does he pray himself into God and feel God under his feet for the first time, you're my record, uh, not my morality. Uh, the last thing that he does is he prays beyond his circumstances. Look at verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. That's big picture thinking. That's end goal thinking. That's, 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 that's a point beyond his circumstances. Even in spite of the fear, he's saying there will be a time when I'm going to come out of this. What is that? That's hope. There's a great verse with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32. It says, if there is no resurrection, um, then we might as well eat and drink. We might as well eat ourselves and drink ourselves to death. He says, because this is all there is. If there, if there is no resurrection. And David, in a pre-Jesus, pre-resurrection way, is saying that. If, he's, he's saying, that if there's nothing else and I have no hope, but there is something else, God will be my deliverer. He's saying, even in spite of the fear that I got, there will be a time in which I believe God will pluck me out of this. And so there can be no basis for courage if there's no horizon beyond what you're going through, whether it be your circumstances or this life on a larger scale. It's blunt and it's profound. But if there's nothing other than, if there's nothing other than this life and your own resources and, and these circumstances, then life says to you, tough cookies. And the fear that you feel and the anxiety that you feel is just a construction of the atoms running around in your head. And so you shouldn't be crying about it. That's how blunt the atheistic view of the world says. But we say, no, there is a God. There is a God who is going to come in and pluck us out and deliver us from all of this. And so we need to pray beyond our circumstances. And so the Bible, the the Bible doesn't say stuff your tears. And the Bible doesn't say be a slave to your tears. The Bible says pray your tears. And so how do we bring this together? I think for me and my Christian journey, I don't know about you guys, but I think the biggest thing that we have in all of this is that we, we actually don't believe that God will get us through when we're in the midst of our tears and our fears. That's the divine wrestle. 
that the bigness and the wonder and the glory of God somehow in our minds is able to be subordinated to the smallest of things. We don't believe that it will come through. And yet we have a resource that shows us he will come through even in the darkest of darkest hour. Look at Gethsemane. Some of you are going to say, you talked about Gethsemane last week. Yeah, I'll probably talk about Gethsemane next week. And here's why. Because where else do you get a picture of God himself praying his tears, his fears and his doubts? Look at Gethsemane. Look at, look, at, look at Jesus. He was under physical attack. He was under identity attack as well. The, the Roman soldiers were coming in to get him. They're, they're, they're to crucify him. He, he was under identity attack as well. The whole reason he's in that scenario because he's blasphemed and he's saying that the son of God and there's a confusion around his identity. And don't you see the amazing parallels between Gethsemane and Psalm 3? It's a picture of two kings. Two kings who are under physical attack and two kings who are under spiritual attack and character attack and identity attack. One wonders if the true King Jesus Christ was reflecting on the example of the earlier King David because this was his Bible too. Maybe Jesus in that moment was praying, Lord, how many are my foes and my enemies? They surround me. They're saying, they're mocking me. God will not deliver me. Maybe he was praying exactly the same psalm in his darkest hour, and yet we see in Jesus Christ the exact same strategy that, he, that David uses in that psalm. Like, look, at, look does, what does Jesus do in Gethsemane? Does, does he try and stuff his fears? Does he say, come on, Rocky Balboa style? Does he say, come on, cup, you know, come on, cup, take me on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. You know, does, is, does he have visualization techniques in which he's going to visualize what is happening so he can move through this? Like, but of course he visualized stuff. In fact, he did visualize stuff. He says to the Roman soldiers, I can call down a, a legion of angels upon you to wipe you all out. He could see it all right. Now, what does he do? He, he prays when he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. What is he doing in that prayer? What is he praying in that prayer? He's praying a shield. Shoo, 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 shoo. And when he says, not my will, but your will be done, is the moment in which he stands behind that shield and he says, I follow the general through the gate into the darkness. And it was dark. And it was painful and it was more than arrows and stings. It wasn't just at the risk of his life, it was at the cost of his life. And then ultimately there was victory in all of this. There was a beyond, there was something else. If anything for you this morning, Christian, it goes to show you, as we keep saying, that in the model of Jesus Christ, the one that is the head of our church, that there is someone who gets what it is to be a human in the midst of paralyzing fear. And yet we see someone that if, who prays himself into God, with God in the fear. We see someone who prays himself into the glory of God. I obey you. They might mock me. They might spit at me in the cross. They might say things of me in the praetorium with Pilate. But I understand my identity and I leave that for you. And, and, and one who believes that there would be something other and beyond the darkness that he was going through at the moment. There was a resource that we have that David never had. And might I suggest to us all that if we are being gripped and paralyzed by fear, it's because we've not drawn on the resource that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No. 
Does it paralyze us? Yes. Is it a divine wrestle? Of course. Let's pray.